Hey, Guy Watch people. It's Phil Gothi again with the Guy Watch Podcast. Thanks again for coming back and downloading. I can't uh, express to you how much I do appreciate it. This week we have something kind of fun to bring to you. Uh, it's Mr. Eric Nevins. He uh, ended up in Des Moines from outside uh, Denver, Colorado, and he is the host of the Halfway There podcast. I think some of you guys might have heard the pod swap that we did with him a couple months ago, and it was wonderful just to sit down and talk with him and kind of share our ideas on podcasting and life, and I mean, we went all over the place. So I really hope that you guys enjoy the time we spent together as much as we did. So ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Eric Nevins. everybody i am fortunate enough to be sitting down with the host of halfway there podcast and also the founder of the christian podcasters <laughs> association mr eric nevins a very prestigious association very prestigious me and you and a handful with of like people. 30 people I mean, yeah but that's so. good yeah but it's don't. a good it's a good group man i i enjoy being there i enjoy the kind of family feel of it it's good yes. and at the end of the day it's Saturday night. You're on vacation. We put everybody else to bed. We hit the town, right? So That's we're right. like, hey, let's go sit by ourselves <laughs> and record a, record a podcast. Perfect. Well, first off, man, I just want to thank you for... You're from Denver, Colorado area. You host a show out there. We've done Pod Swap before. Yep. And, uh, you know, you're on vacation. You came to Des Moines, Iowa. So <laughs> what, what more could you want? Yeah. Well, I'm from here originally, so it, it makes a lot of... This is why we come here every couple times a year. So uh, yeah, I, I thought it was cool when we connected and you were you were in Des Moines. I was like, what? How yeah. is that possible? I mean, yeah, because that's one of the neat things is, is our shows have some similarities to them. And so that was yeah. why when we found each other, it was kind of like, really? Yeah. And, and I, I love the fact that when we first started talking, we shared a lot of the same reasons for wanting to do our shows. Yeah. And we had the same feelings about a lot of the groups, you know, we, we, you know, we laugh a little bit about the Christian Podcasters Association, but, you know, at the end of the day, we both kind of felt isolated sometimes. I'm speaking for you, but I felt isolated at times in the secular podcast world because they're not always the friendliest to the Christian podcasters. I mean, you know, they're not unfriendly, but they're not as accepting and willing to share and be open. So Yeah. Yeah, well, it's definitely its own niche, right? So there's there's a... There's a different motives, I think, sometimes for doing the, a Christian show than doing, like, a business show. Um, but that's okay. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know. That's kind of why I started that group, is, as you know, because we kind of hatched it over Facebook message. But um, it was in order to kind of bring some people together doing, trying to do the same kinds of things. Yeah. We're trying to get a message out that was Christian that you otherwise weren't going to get a chance to to get out, you know? I've really valued the conversations that I've had with you. I mean, really, we've never met until, what, yesterday we went to lunch? Yeah. And other than that, it's always just been on the internet somehow. We've right. communicated back and forth. But, you know, just the ability to be able to bounce ideas off of you and, you know, kind of share in the growth of what's happening in, in both of our shows, it's been, yeah. it's been nice. Yeah. So... And just kind of your, your outlook on things. You come from a, a more biblically polished background than I do, right? I mean, you've, you've gone to school for seminary work and things like that, haven't you? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I have, uh, I went to Trinity and I got a degree in Biblical Studies. And then I went to Denver Seminary and got a Master of Divinity with an emphasis in spiritual formation. Yeah, so I mean that, that puts you a little, a little more <laughs> polished than this guy. I've, d I've done a little study, but I'm sure you've done a lot of study too. Well, I, I read every once in a while. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Probably not as much as I should, but I, I try to keep it up. You know, though, one of the things, talking about the things that, that you shared with me that have kind of hit home, that it opened my eyes a little bit, was one of the things that we talked about was at dinner the other day was that idea of that different steps in a Christian walk. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, could you break that down a little bit again, sure. just for the listeners, because it really opened my eyes up and made me think about things differently. Yeah, absolutely. What I've done is I've based, I try, I try for it not to be as transparent as the as I'm about to do, but um, I've based my show on the stages of the spiritual journey according to a book called The Critical Journey by Janet Hagberg. It's a little green book. You can find it if you go to Amazon or whatever. Um, but it really changed the way I think about the spiritual journey and about um, spiritual maturity. I'll just give you the basic stages and just a brief kind of overview of them. So the first one is conversion. And we all know that story, right? How we came to Christ, how you, whether it was family or a friend invited you to church or whatever it was, conversion. And then there's a learning phase where you just learn a lot. And a lot of times for people, you hear something like, I just did nothing but read the Bible for three years, you know, the, that kind of story, um, where you're kind of learning all about the basics of the, of the faith or, or even deeper stuff later on, kind of learning and taking in information. There's a doing stage, sometimes I'll call it the activist stage, where you're maybe even crusading for a particular cause or a, you're deeply involved in church. Or like my family was always one of those families growing up that was at church every time the doors were open. We had a key, right? And we'd lock up when everybody left. And those are kind of the three early stages of the spiritual journey that most of us know about um, and most of us experience for sure. Where I think the model gets really interesting is when you start to go beyond that. So then after that, there's this wall stage where you kind of hit the wall. And all the things that you've done, all the things that you've learned, you can either start to question, you can start to question God, God can feel distant and far away. That's not a new idea to, to this book. It's actually a very ancient idea, and lots of Christians have experienced it. Um, but we have to go outside of the evangelical world a little bit to, to see that, that kind of thing, which is why I think sometimes evangelicals don't know what to do with people who are in that wall period. But you can, go th you can do a couple things at that wall. You can kind of hit it and bounce back and go through the learning and the doing stages again, thinking, well, I didn't do that right, and so then you know, I need to know more and go get another degree or whatever it is. You can hit it and your faith can just die and you can just reject God. Um, and say this doesn't work. Or you can kind of go through it, and sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, and you just never know. depends on who you are and how God wants to deal with you and how you turn to God in those ways. Um, but I always try to ask a question in my show, kind of relating to each of these. And the one I usually ask here is, have you ever had an experience when God was really far away? Like when he, was, when he felt distant or, or not really there? Because I think that gets at least to the feeling and the experience that, that you have with God. 
Um, but if you get through that stage on the other side, there's what the author calls um, the inner journey, which is where you start to know a little bit more about yourself and how you relate to God. And then the outer journey where you're maybe teaching or mentoring people. And then, so there's the outer journey. And then the last one is the life of love that usually I describe this as the Apostle John. Like, you know, remember he was, Jesus called them the sons of thunder. And by the time he was 90 or so, when he when he's writing First John or the epistles of John, his message to the to the churches is love one another. You know, you've kind of had this old thing. And I don't know if you've ever known anybody like that, like where you would go, that person is totally like they're really at the pinnacle and kind of life of love. Yeah, I've met a couple people, yeah. and I've had them in my life, and I mean, there's just no. They just exude grace and right. understanding and, you know, that that Christian compassion. Yeah. And, I mean... You'll know it when you see it. Yeah. You know, like, well, so at Denver Seminary, one of the guys, I can't remember if he founded, I think he might have been a founder, but he was there. He was definitely a president at one point. His name was Vernon Grounds. And when I was there, he was like a chancellor or I forget emeritus something but he had an office and he would ride around on his scooter you know and, and talk to everybody but if you had a chance to interact with him all you could do is think that guy knows the lord and he like i just wish i could spend a lot more time with him that's kind of what that life of love period is is sort of like they just exude that kind of you know i think that's it's funny experience. to hear you describe that though i mean the guy rolling around in his power chair, you know, <laughs> right? saying hey to people. But most of the people who I have met who I would feel fit that description are older, more yeah. experienced in life. I think that a lot of times we talk about our Christian walk as this journey, right? Yeah. And it doesn't end. I think that we can look forward to when we see these older generations of people who have been disciples for so long and right. on that Christian walk and, and living that way, it didn't happen overnight for them. Right. You know, and I think that that gives us inspiration to know that I look at some of these people that I know and I think that the level of love and understanding and grace and compassion and all of these things that they show are sometimes unreachable for me. You know what I mean? Because right. I just go, I have no clue how you, how you do this. But then you think about 50 years, Lord willing, <laughs> right. you know, maybe, maybe I do have a shot. Right. So, right. Exactly. And it, it is, you know, one stage at a time and it's, they're not all, they're not necessarily linear. I tend to think of it and describe it linearly because it makes sense that way, but they're probably more of a circle that you kind of go around, you know, and you're, you're always being converted at a certain level. You're always learning. You're always doing these things, but there's certain definite periods, I think, that you can look back in your life and go, that was a learning period for me when I just dug into scripture or I dug into my theology or whatever it was that really deepened my faith, you know? So, like, one experience I have was in seminary, I mean, the whole experience of seminary is kind of a learning period, obviously, but one of the most impactful things for me was I had to write a paper at the end, last semester of seminary, I had to write a 20-page paper about everything that you believe. So you go through all the different theological topics, God, Revelation, you know, you name it. You go through it. And you just write down what you believe. You don't have to justify any of it. You just have to say, this is what I think. 
take a position on all the different theological issues. And that turned out to be a hugely important, formative time for me because there were things that I learned during that that I had never learned or maybe had thought about briefly during like theology classes or whatever, but I learned and I, and I then meditated on later through the next several years and came to different conclusions than what I, what I would have previously. But that learning period was really, really shaped me. I like that, you know, you, you say, you know, some, through the years of meditating on it, your ideas on it have changed. Yeah. And I think that that happens for all of us, right? Like, I've struggled with things before. I remember the, the first thing that I really took issue with at one time was eternal security. And, you know, I mean, without, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a good time. We're friends. I'm not here to debate either way. Yeah. But, you know, for, uh, for a long time, I did not believe in eternal security, right? And, you know, the idea that, that you can leave the faith and you're still yeah. going to hell, right? So, and so, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What was that? So where was that coming from? Was that your denomination or was that like just you had a, a beef with it? Or like? so, so I wasn't raised in the church. Most of my early development was actually... I bounced from church to church. I didn't really, I've never had a denomination that I've really held strong with, right? I mean, sure. I find a pastor that I really like his teaching. I find a church that doctrine lines up closely to what I believe and see if it's a good fit. But, you know, pretty much it was from reading, from reading and thinking and, and putting my, sure. my personal spin on things and the people that I know in my life, right? And, and I just, I couldn't understand how, how a God who commands me to follow him, I tell him I will, and then I go, nope, I'm done. And then for the rest of my life, I can say, I don't believe in God, God is fake, flying spaghetti monster, this, that, the other, whatever. Yeah. And that God opens his pearly gates and greets you with a big warm hug and says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But as time has gone on, and as I have met men who are more well-versed in faith than I am, and, and thinking about it, and really understanding a gospel of love, and, you know, not this... You know, I was very fire and brimstone, you know what I mean? The, Which is common when you're young. Maybe, <laughs> but uh, you know, and but I personally, I like that. And every once in a yeah. while, I love a good fire and brimstone message because it straightens me right back up, you know. Uh -huh. But uh, just that <laughs> idea now is, you know, I look at faith a little differently. And if you tell me you're a Christian, wonderful. It's not my, it's not my place to question that. It's not my place to to say anything. Yeah. But if you love God and you step away from God. Did you ever really love him? You know what I mean? And so, I don't know. You know, so I go back and forth on, on, on stuff. But that's one of the first struggles that I really had where I started to kind of change yeah. my, my feelings about things. And, you know, and there's a lot of other little stuff. And, you know, but yeah, I think that we all evolve and change and grow the more that we know God. Right. So. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I like about having this sort of model of spiritual growth is that, you know, there is that period of a wall where your experience of God and who He is is different than it is in some of the other periods, right? And He may feel distant. You know, like I said earlier, that's, 
that is a common part of the spiritual journey. And I think a lot, at least churches that I've been in and with people that I've known, we don't necessarily know what to do with that because it feels like maybe that person is not a believer anymore or maybe they've walked away from the faith. And we see that to some extent in the scriptures where people are like, don't forsake, you know, don't turn away like some people did. But I feel like as long as you're alive, you still have the chance, right? Or you still have the, you yeah. know, you, you want to be careful. Like I said, you can hit the wall and your faith can die. But as long as you're willing to still go through, okay, maybe the church that you went to where you were discipled at the beginning is not the church you need to go to later in your life. Yeah. Maybe that's okay. And I never thought that before. I mean, I always thought, okay, all churches should be all things to all people. And I don't believe that anymore. I think some churches, based on the gifting of the pastor, speak to certain people at certain stages of the journey, and that's okay. In my case in particular, me and my wife left a church that we were at for, I don't know, maybe, maybe almost 10 years, and we went to go plant a church. Um, and, and before we settled at the church that we were at for so long, we were at a different church plant. So it wasn't, it was a little while off, but it wasn't something that was totally foreign to us. We thought, hey, you know, we can really do a good job here. Um, and, and we worked with them and did our time and, and helped flourish what we could. And, and then we kind of stepped back into our community because uh, we, we were commuting quite a ways and we weren't really able to be as involved as, as I wish we could have at times. It would have been very easy for us to step back into the church that we were at before. I have, you know, and, and still in my heart, I have nothing but respect and love for that place. I mean, they did so much with my formation. They allotted us so much resources. We served and worked in so many different capacities there, and everybody was so supportive. But what did we need for ourselves at that time? Because I could have settled back right. in and, and been just like I was the day that I left. Right. And I, I needed to grow in different ways. Yeah. And so we ended up finding a new church home for now and have settled in. And, and it has stretched us in ways that we didn't know we were going to be. You know? yeah. And so I think that's a, it's a good thing to... You know, my grandma, she's been at the same church for 60 years. You know, right. I mean, when her, when my parents were babies, they went to the same church, you yeah. know, and I think that kind of that same idea that your, your grandpa worked at a factory for 40 years and got right. a gold watch when he retired. So. Right. And that's the way the world sort of was, right? That was yeah. your community. We don't really have that anymore. So and that's okay, I think. I think there are about advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, I, I do agree, so... Um, so what was it? I mean, you filled out this, uh, this inventory form. I guess in my mind, I think of like most seminaries that I know of, you know, there's a, a Baptist seminary not far from me, out by my dad. There's a Reformed Church seminary up in Michigan. You know, they're all fairly denominational. So when yeah. you fill this out, do most people in the class kind of have the same ideas? I mean, I imagine on this thing is you know, baptisms and all the things yeah. that churches kind of split over, right? Yeah. And so do you find most of your peers in there all had the same answers? Or was it kind of like, oh, you're not with us anymore. You need to go join. No. Me. So what's interesting about that, Denver Seminary used to be a conservative Baptist seminary. And so I don't know a ton about that transition because um, I don't, they didn't, they weren't, when I was there, I don't think they were affiliated with that denomination. They didn't push it or anything. So I don't know the story there. 
Uh, so I'm not going to speak for any <laughs> anybody, whatever happened. But uh, they generally it is a pretty, a fairly, I don't want to use it, I don't mean this uh, disparagingly, but a fairly run-of-the-mill evangelical school. Do you know what I mean? So, no, I mean, they, so they turn out good, solid people they who do. can enter the world right. and, and do a lot of different right. things. Right. Yeah. So that's good. So you you would find people from a lot of different sides of of the issues. Um, on the on the te- or on the paper, you could do you could say whatever you want. The the catch with it was, uh, you had to do an oral exam with two professors, and so they would read your paper and then ask you questions. And so you just had to be able to defend your positions. And I think as long as you were within a certain bounds of orthodoxy. I think you're okay. So, like, the question I think that they were asking everybody that year to start out the exam was, can God change his mind? Does God change his mind? Which is a great question, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think we, that question was kind of going around. So, I think everybody, like, once the first few people knew what it was, do it, then it kind of everybody knows. And so, I had an answer ready. But I know what my answer was. What, what would your answer be? What would you say? Well, I like to think that the answer to that is no. Uh huh. But God does what God wants, right? <laughs> you know, and so right. it's a, that's a that's definitely a slippery slope. Yeah. So, so what's the right answer? So here's what I said. I said God never changes in His essential character or purposes. He's always the same, but He does have the opportunity to do as He pleases, right? To change His mind, and I think we see that like with Moses when Moses prays and he, God doesn't wipe out all the people. You remember that? story. Uh, And there's other times, and I think if we believe in prayer at all, we have to say, yeah, God God decides to act based on our prayer. And so, uh, you know, I can't, that was when I realized, okay, I'm not deterministic, where it's like everything is going to happen, whether I ask for it or I don't, or I'm predestined to ask for it, whatever, like all that whole philosophical approach to the faith. I don't buy it anymore. Maybe some people do, whatever, but my view is that, no, I, if I'm going to have an intimate relationship with God, that he's a person, and so I relate to him on a personal level, and that means I, I can speak to him, and he can speak to me, and I, he could say things that might surprise me, right? And I could say things that might surprise him, and, or, okay, that's, that's a weird thing to say, but might strike him as funny, for instance, right? Or something yeah. like that. That, that, I get that. You know what I'm saying? And that he may change how he's going to act in the world based on my my request. That doesn't mean he's different. It doesn't mean he's changed, you know, the way that history is going to end or that Jesus is exalted. Or what, you know, like all these things. That's all going to always be the same. But that he does act based on relationships. I like that. I think that's pretty much what I said. I think so. I'm trying. It's trying to. It's trying to uh, thread the needle to some extent. But yeah. No, and I and I get that. And you think about. I mean, if you get away from the, everything is determined, right? You get away from that determinism, and you know, yeah, because, you know what? If I obey God, God will give me good things. You know what I mean? It's just at the end of the day, and so yeah. I mean, but. God is God. God does what God wants to do. So. Right. Yeah, so, you know, it makes me laugh. You know, I, the idea of, of doing an inventory and, oh, you know, in my, in my brain, if you had yeah. a little comic strip, you think, oh, 
you got to go, you know, you're Baptist and you're, right. you're going to the Unitarian church, you know, right. and, and, you know, wherever else these people are sending. And it makes me laugh because when, so before me and my wife were at the church we were at for a long time, we were at this plant and we didn't have a building. We were meeting at homes. And I talked to my wife and we said, you know, if we could get any, married anywhere, where would we get married? You know, we wanted to be married in a church. And so there is a beautiful cathedral downtown, St. Ambrose Cathedral. And it's a Catholic place. And uh, one of the things we didn't, you know, we didn't know. We just signed the paperwork, said, hey, let us come in. And they pull you aside and you have to fill out, I don't know, 100 plus questions, wow. you know, about your relationship and you and your faith and all of this stuff. They... It was funny because we sit down and, you know, my wife knows me too well. And, you know, the one of the first questions, you know, the first couple was something about being safe. Do you feel safe, you know, at home or something? And, <laughs> and I just I laughed and my wife must have known where I was because she looks up at me and she goes, you have to be serious about this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so as she says that, there's a lady who's overseeing our test. And she promptly separates us because we can't cheat. <laughs> like you're in you know, school. And I just, I just laughed. And so we filled out all of these forms. We didn't really want a Catholic ceremony. We're not Catholic. Right. Well, you know, and we had to go through some premarital counseling after we filled this thing out, which, fantastic. I think that, you know, counseling is a, a, a wonderful thing. It can help even when there's not problems or, you know, you can, somebody can bring some things to your attention that maybe you didn't think sure. about. And so we sit down and, and my wife worked for a Catholic hospital and she knew some of the, uh, the staff there on the religious side of things. And one of the deacons she knew well and he offered to marry us. And so we met with him for our, our premarital counseling and uh, we get the test and, you know, we scored something crazy you know it was almost exactly the same I think there was two or three questions of the hundred that we didn't answer the same and so we but we still have to meet like six times uh -huh. and so off of that you know if there'll be questions about finance or you know kids or you know different different things that incorporate your life and then they draw off of those questions to be able to better facilitate that counseling session well we had a couple a couple that didn't match, but they were, I don't remember, I don't even know what they were. They were fairly insignificant. Like, we worked through them in one session. Yeah. So now, we have five more sessions. <laughs> and so, I, I felt bad Be for careful. my wife because uh, she sat there and listened to me and this guy argue about why I'm not Catholic. <laughs> awesome. And we, just, I mean, that's what it was. It was the, every time we went, she just sat there and me and this guy just went back and forth. And it just, it made me laugh. And so thinking about that, it makes me think, yeah. you know, about you and all these guys answering these questions and going back and forth. And it was a big deal. But it was, it was one of my favorite things to do because it really made me think and it made me get down, like, how am I going to say this in a way that doesn't make me a heretic? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because you talk about doctrines like the Trinity or, no, well, that's a big one, but... They really, you got to be precise with how you say those things because so many heresies have come, gone on either side of that, of those issues. Just a little. And so you want to, you don't want to 
accidentally say one of those things, you know? You know, and that's, it's funny because that's one of the things that, you know, I don't know if you ever think about it while you're podcasting, but I do. You know, sometimes I wonder about if I slip up and just say, yeah, mix something up or say something wrong real, you know, just, because I'm just talking off the top of my head. Right. I'm totally okay with that. Like, Like, I just decided every once in a while I'll, I'll edit something out if I think it's weird. But for the most part, I'm like, you know what? I know what I meant. <laughs> you know, and probably everybody who listen, who's listening knows what I meant. And if they don't, write me an email. And, yeah. and we could talk about it, and I'll clarify. But I've, I long ago left this kind of feeling that I need to be responsible for everybody's understanding of what I, what I said. You know, because there, yeah. there's a lot of nuances to theology that... You know, sometimes it's, it's good to be more precise, and sometimes it's just, you know, a people lot of, get their, get all excited about it, and they don't really need to. It's not really the important thing to me anymore. I'm not saying theology is unimportant, but I really do care a lot more about somebody's relationship with the Lord, which is why, like, I don't, I almost never ask people what their theological beliefs are. I'm not interested in that. That's not the thing that. I think is actually, it's important, but it's not the most important. What's important is, do you know the Lord? And if you do, how? How'd you, how'd you get into that? How have you learned about Him? You know, what's been your experience with Him? That's really what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So how did you come to the Lord then, man? That's a good question. Like, so yeah. you just led into it for yourself. How did you come to the Lord? Uh, so I, I really... Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I mean, that's really the sort of the story, you know. Since you were a little kid. Since I was a little kid. You know, there's a story that my mom had that picture. You've probably seen it with the with Jesus knocking on the door. Have you seen that one? It's like all gold. Yeah, it's all yeah. wispy looking. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I think my sister claims this story too, I think. I don't know. I'm not sure. But when I was a little kid, I asked the Lord into my heart. We always went to church. I did the whole thing. I want to. Uh, you know, we were, like I said, we were the family that was just always at, always at church. And so I don't really remember a time when I didn't believe. I definitely remember times when I didn't uh, act like I believed. We all have that. <laughs> but uh, not necessarily a time when I didn't believe. I've always thought that God was there. I, I remember very clearly praying as a, as a kid that God would take care of our family. At, like at night, I would pray that our house wouldn't burn down. <laughs> that our house wouldn't get broken into because I thought our little two-bedroom house would, a <laughs> three-bedroom house would get broken into on the east side. <laughs> Whatever, that everybody be safe medically and all that. Like, I, I had this little list that I would get See, like, you know, it's, as it's, a kid. It's funny because my kids have a list too. Yeah. And it's, it's the same every yeah. night. And, yep. you know, I've tried to branch them out and say, hey, you know, what about... Nope, and that's what it is. One one kid prays for me, my wife, and the cat. And then and then my youngest kid, he prays for like eight people. I mean, kids from his old daycare. Yeah. And you know, God bless Isabel. How cool is it though? And God bless this. You know, and it just yeah. it just always makes me laugh. You know, yeah. and yeah, just their understanding of it is is fun. Yeah, I remember that. I did that. Like I prayed at night. This was not. This was on my own. This was not like with my family. This is like. Lights would go out, and I would lay there in my bed, and I would pray. And I did that. It's kind of a funny story. Like, right up until high school sometime, 
maybe maybe even a little later, like most of the time I would do that, but one time I was, because I process things verbally, that's why I have a podcast, right? Like, I just, I had to say things out loud, and so I would kind of just pray in my, or talk out loud in my room to God. I don't know if I want to share this story, it's so embarrassing, but, oh, but here's, here's, <laughs> I was staying at a friend's house who was a girl, my parents were out of town, I think some other friends were there, I can't remember exactly. Uh, but I was had a room by myself because I think I was the only guy, and I was in this bed and I was doing my prayers. And I kind of liked the girl at the time, and wanted to go out with her. So I was I was praying about that, and uh, all of a sudden I hear this like I was like, "What's that?" Because <laughs> it wasn't the door. It's God. It was in the room. And I'm like, okay, whatever, and I keep going, and then. And all of a sudden, under the bed, boom, like the bed's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I jump up, I flip on the light, and the girl <laughs> crawls out from underneath the bed. I was like, oh my God. It was, I was so humiliated. It was so just like, you have got to What did she say? Are you kidding me? She was like, hey. So you love me. <laughs> I think we eventually had a conversation about how this was probably not going to work out. <laughs> That's she awesome. ended up marrying one of my friends, and so that's good. She's every once in a while we see them, but not too often. Were you the best man? What? Because were you the best man? Because that would know. make it the best wedding speech ever. <laughs> I don't think so. I was. I think I was in the wedding, but yeah. See, so, that's awesome, though, man. Anyway, yeah. So, I, but I did that for a long time. Life, life's a little different when you get married. It doesn't quite <laughs> smooth out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So how old were you, like, when this embarrassing story happened? Oh, happens? gosh, I was 16 or 17. Oh, so you I mean you were old enough to yeah. check under your bed before you started prayers? Yeah, should have. <laughs> so no, that's, that's awesome, man. So Tell me about your story. Tell me, like, your, how you came to Christ. How I came. You said you didn't grow up. I mean, my, people will tell me sometimes, they're like, oh, I got kind of a normal Christian story. I grew up in a Christian family, which I totally always like to affirm. Because it mat like it's just it's a good thing it's a good oh, it's a good story to have. I want my kids, to, you know. Yeah. If, I've talked on the show before about how I I feel fortunate enough that that I have known God and not known God, so that I know what the difference right. feels like. Because physically, it is different for me. But on the flip side of that, I really hope that my kids never have to go through some of the pain and yeah non-understanding that I had to go through. Right. Um, my family, most of, most of my family uh, on my father's side live in the Northeast. Um, I have a mo more family on my mother's side who lives in the Midwest. Um, you know, they were divorced when I was very young. All my family in the Northeast is all Catholic. And back here, Occasionally you would go to a Christmas service. You know, I knew what church was. I didn't understand God, Jesus, anything. I just showed up because my mom made me, you know. And right. uh, occasionally, you know, I'd, I'd go visit my dad because my parents were separated. Um, and my dad would make me wear my sweater vest and go to the Methodist church. And <laughs> still, I, I mean, I don't know that I retained anything. I, I knew a couple songs, but... I didn't go very often, right? And so, I mean, I, I can, I was not churched. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't understand the stories. I didn't know anything. 
I knew, like, this is a light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. That's about it. In high school, there were Christians that I was friends with. And why, I was a troubled kid. And so, they still surrounded themselves with me, even though they were like wonderful, good people, and I was not. And, you know, that's one of the things that always kind of stuck with me, is, you know, just that those people really cared on me, and they, they tried to share the gospel with me on a regular basis. But, you know, I didn't really want much to do with it. Um, I went to a youth group a couple times. Um, I was asked to not return. <laughs> okay. Um, I was a bad, you know, well, I mean, so what actually happened <laughs> is uh, I got caught smoking cigarettes. Oh, okay. And I was told that I was not a good influence on the kids that were there. There you go. And so I was asked to not go back, so I didn't. And then uh, I dated this girl one time, and uh, she was, I don't remember what denomination it was, but it was very Pentecostal, holy rolling and uh you know for being somebody who's been in you know i went to youth group a couple times been in a church far less um somebody gets up and just starts speaking in tongues waving their hands in the air somebody else gets up and starts doing it and i freak out i'm like <laughs> I'm looking around i'm like what is happening here and this girl just looks at me and goes i'll explain it later <laughs> i never went back you know and so um Oh, man. Um, yeah, and so that was my upbringing. That was what my experience with church really was. And then... So would you say it was confusing? It was confusing. Uh, <coughs> I didn't understand it. Um, the people in general were very positive. Even being asked to not attend, they were probably for good reasons. You Could you have maybe helped... Uh, a kid who needed some help, you could have, but at the end of the day, you had a whole room full of kids that you're having trouble maintaining anyway. You probably don't need one that's very cause problems. Right. You know. After that, you know, after high school, uh, I joined the military, and when you're in basic training, there is uh, a guy that they partner you up with, and that's referred to as your battle buddy. And um, he was a Mormon. And everybody referred to him as the preacher because every night he would preach. And, you know, we, I slept on the, the top, he sleeps on the bottom. You know what I mean? Like, we're always yeah. in the vicinity of each other. And so I'm hearing all this stuff. And to be honest, I kind of zoned it all out, you know. But in your mind, you know, there was a lot of people coming and, and talking to him. And his whole, the reason why he wanted to join the infantry was so that he could um, be a guard for a chaplain. And, you know, kind of the same deal with him was he was uh, just a really wholesome, nice guy in a barracks full of testosterone-filled 18-year-old men who want to be infantry. That stood out differently, right? Yeah. And so... I ended up getting hurt, got out of the military, came back here and floundered. You know, came back to Iowa and fell back into my old routines, um, addiction, bad friends, having problems. I was out at a, a lake here in this area and uh, right north of town. Well, you're from here. I was up at Sitterville Lake. Oh, yeah. 
I used to spend the nights out there a lot. I, my, you yeah. know, I had I had an apartment at times, and at times I chose to not live in an apartment. Gotcha. And so, you know, you're almost living at a lake sometimes. One night I was out there, and, and things were not going positive, right? I mean, addiction issues were really catching up to me. And I, I, I just stopped, and I, I said life cannot get worse than it is right now. Like, what can I do that is different? And I would have done anything to change my situation. Wow. For whatever reason, God was the thing that came to me. And I don't know that I said the right prayer that, you know, I believe Jesus is my Savior, rose in three days, you know. Like, I just screamed for God to come yeah. into my life. You know, which might be the exactly right prayer. Yeah. And, you know, and and it was a long journey from there. I'm not saying like, yeah, did I I felt like that day and and who knows whether it was the Holy Spirit, whether it was just the idea that maybe I could have some relief from the things I was going through. I felt a literal burden lifted off of me. Like, you know, and I've talked to other people who have felt the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, just it was gone. And, you know, overnight it wasn't, I wasn't a change. You know, I mean, I tried and I knew the things that I needed to not do, but I didn't know how to do them. Right. So I started going to churches and the only one that I really knew the layout of and how to get around in was the one I got kicked out of. Uh-huh. And so I would show up there. I would show up after the music started. I would leave before the music ended because I didn't know what to say to people. Huh. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it took me years of doing that and making mistakes and feeling like I could really approach somebody. Wow. But, um, but yeah, and then eventually I started making relationships and living into my faith more. And, yeah, I mean, now I'm here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah a, little, a little different, but, you know, it's, I mean, we get to the same place, you know. Right. So I think that's the, that's the beautiful thing about our faith is that we can, no matter what we went through to get to where we're at, we're all on the same path now. I took, I took slope B, you took slope A, somebody else is on the other side, but eventually we're getting the same path and we're going to the top of the mountain together. Amen. So I think that that's, that's good, man. But, you know, the, that format that you were talking about using that, that wall analogy, yeah. um, you know, and I was sharing with you at lunch a couple things, and, and one of those being um, sometimes my inability to pursue strong Christian relationship. You know, it's important, and I try it, and I fail a lot, you know, and some of it has to do with me, I'm sure, and at the end of the day, I'm not always the best friend. I'm not, I'm not the guy who calls you all the time and, and always follows up the best. Yeah. In thinking about that wall analogy when we talked about it, I feel like I'm making my way through that wall, and I feel like it is. And one of the things that really gets me thinking about that is, is that I just, I live for God, not for the people of God. I mean, and I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but, you know, my goal is to make God happy yeah. with, with me and what I do and, and how I live and less about making the people that I'm surrounded with happy and trying to make an appearance for them right. in that level. I mean, because I look back 
10 years ago and I think, hey, I want people to think that I have this together. Right. And even though we don't. And I think that, you know, that's part of that, that growth process that you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things, too, is I think you brought up that idea of bouncing off that wall a couple times and, and questioning your faith. Yep. I have been amazed at some of the, you know, more, they're usually an offline kind of conversation, but the level of people who are very strong in their faith, who have times of questioning. Yeah. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we feel that we shouldn't question our faith, right? Right. Um, because God is God, and he wrote this book, and this is what we do, and here's how we act. Yeah. But I think that when people are honest, there's times where we wonder. I mean, is that something that you've, you've struggled with at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, my wall experiences mm-hmm. have come mostly uh, during times when life wasn't working out the way I wanted it to. And so, like, I can point to one where in... I guess it was 2002. So I, I went to Trinity uh, International University, which is in Chicago. Jody and I got married in 97. I graduated uh, with my bachelor's in 2000, spring of 2000. And then I did a year and a half at TEDS, which is Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. This is like this school, I mean, every seminary thinks they're important, but. This school, some of the top scholars, like people who work on your Bible translation, are there. Now, probably a lot of different seminaries have that, but D.A. Carson. I took, I took a class from Wayne Grudem, who wrote this big theology book. Fairly important. Just a bunch of like big, really heavy-hitting, the- smart guys, right? So I'm in this environment, and right at the same time, my parents are getting divorced, my sister gets married and divorced. My wife and I are kind of discovering that married life is quite a bit different than we both expected. And so that was sort of rocky. And we're having our first baby. And so I kind of got hit with all of these things at once. And uh, I finally just went, you know what? I can't stay in school. I just can't. So I took a, what was going to be a semester off, and it turned out to be three years off. That was a huge time period when I just was very frustrated with God. I felt very much like God wasn't speaking to me, which nobody ever taught me to listen to God, so I don't know why I thought that's, I thought that I should at least feel close to Him and just couldn't. I was upset. I was very angry about all of these things that were happening. One of those prayers that I prayed as a little kid was that for my parents to get along and for my parents to love each other, and they just never did, and they stayed married for 26 years, and eventually finally got divorced, and that was all happening. So that was all kind of wrapped up in my faith, you know, like, okay, God, I understand why I could pray this from the time I was a little kid till now, and then it finally all just falls apart. And so was your faith kind of a family, I mean, did you you recognize that as a family activity? Maybe. To some extent, yeah. I mean, we, we had a really, like, honestly, our family was really good. 
like at the larger level, you know, like my my mom's side of the family to this day, as far as I know, they still get together to celebrate each other's birthdays. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible, you yeah. know. And they'll do they do it at certain times of the year when they have clusters of birthdays. But they seemed they that was that family seemed very healthy, you know. Like they celebrate each other. They did, yeah. they did. And they would get together. We do a lot of Christmas time. We see both sides of the family, and other times throughout the year, we'd see both sides of the family. But the home life just wasn't, you know. Sometimes it was okay. A lot of times it wasn't. And so I just didn't understand that. Like I had a lot of, I had a hard time with that. So, you know, when I'm 25 and starting my own family, and my family's falling apart, that was really, really hard for me. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like God was just not there and. So I ended up dropping out of seminary, um, which is the only thing Al Gore and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs> we both dropped out of seminary. Funny. I eventually finished, but uh, I took it. It turned out to be three years and two kids. He, <laughs> he became vice president. He did. I know. I'm not going to have that track record. <laughs> like, but it turned out to be three years, two kids, and I just, you know, I, like I don't know. Well, so what happened? What ended up happening was. My wife and I had this uh, argument, and it was one of those like nighttime kind of arguments. So, like we didn't talk for three days. And she's like, "Are we going to talk about this?" Said, okay. So finally, we did, and it was just like ten at night till one in the morning. We just going back and forth and trying to share our perspectives and not getting each other's perspectives and going back and forth. And I was so angry that I thought that. Marriage would be one thing, and it was a different thing. Yeah. I finally left the room. We had this little two-bedroom apartment, and I went out to the living room, and I was going to sleep on the couch. And while I was out there in the dark, and I remember this room. I sometimes talk about, like, it was this really big living room. Not huge. I mean, maybe it was, like, the size of this room, but it was sort of cavernous, really high ceilings. And I remember feeling like, I was just sort of empty like that room, you know, just being an empty. And, uh, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to pray. And so I started praying. I was like, God, I don't know what to do about this. It's not what I thought. I don't know what to, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I'm angry and I went through all that. It after a little bit, I, don't, I wish I could remember the exact words that I said. And for a while, I think I could remember those, but I don't remember them now. But... Eventually, I just finally said, you know, God, I am whatever you want from me, whatever you, whatever you want me to do. I just really kind of humbled myself before the Lord. That was really the, the gist of it. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I felt like there was, a, there was a moment when I had, I had a feeling of, okay, God's love just coming over me. And I can't, it's hard to describe. It was just a warm feeling, you know, and. I don't know, I don't want to overplay that, but I do remember that being kind of like this experience of God, maybe sort of like you said, you know, lifting the burden and just kind of like comforting being you. present. Yeah. And, uh, and I was crying, and my wife came out, and she was crying. And we kind of figured it out. But that was a mo- sort of a watershed moment of just the dam broke. And uh, you know, after that, I actually ended up getting baptized because I'd never been baptized. And so I thought, okay, I need to take that step. So I did. And then that, you know, I started going, okay, 
do I go back to school? What happens? You know, I really didn't like not having, or just having this degree that was unfinished. And so that's how I ended up. After a while, I didn't really want to go back to Trinity. Great school, but had, it's a pretty academic place, you know. Yeah. And that was what I started to get interested in spiritual formation. Like, I'd always had this question. Even as a high schooler, I can look back and go, okay, my little church, we had the same conversations, the same arguments, and, and the same worship, like, every week, right, yeah. every year. It's all the same stuff. Uh, how come people don't change? And so I wanted to study spiritual formation. Denver Seminary has a great spiritual formation program. They actually put you through a mentoring program where you're going to have people who are investing in you for two years, two and a half years of this of this whole program, uh, which was exactly what I needed. So I got to go. I went there and set up back to Trinity because I could have done the head stuff, the heady stuff. I'm smart enough I can do that, but that wasn't really what I wanted out of that, yeah. out of that degree. But. I always value. I think that there's a there's a lot to be said for somebody who is very knowledgeable of theology. Yeah. But I desperately value people who have that intimate relationship, you know, and I know that's one of the reasons why the show is so important for me to talk to. Sometimes people that don't think that their walk has been anything extraordinary, but at the end of the day, every walk that somebody has is extraordinary. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Every time... I find, and somebody's, like, like the conversion question is a great one, because sometimes people play down like, well, you know, I grew up in church, or whatever. And even that, I think, is extraordinary. You know what I mean? There's something I can find. If I ask enough questions, or I dig behind a little bit, there's something there that really, even if it's just God's faithfulness to this person, yeah. right, that is moving and really powerful. Yeah. How did they maintain God's faithfulness? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's got to be something in your life that you're doing that is great. Yeah, I mean, I love I, that. I, I do. I'm too, glad we share that. So, and I think that's you know one of the things that we talked about about when we were discussing why we podcast. Yeah, is pretty much that because yeah. everybody's stories are so amazing, and I think it has to be told. I've come to this place where I think that. Uh, that the work that we do with our podcasts might be as important as almost anything that somebody who's on staff at a church does. Like, that, that has its place. But sharing the experiences of God's people also has a place. I mean, if you think about Acts, like the book of Acts, what is that? Yeah. Other than just, or even the Gospels, it's just a record of the experiences that God's people had. And that's what you're, you and I agreed. We've, we launched our shows roughly the same time, right? I, I launched I the so. very first of this year. Okay, yeah, I started in June of 16. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that has been humbling for me has been the amount of listeners. Right? Yeah. And so I am not somebody who is amazingly comfortable with public speaking you know like right so one of the tricks it's always funny for me because i'm better at it than i used to be but like i used to show little video clips if i had to get up and and give a little sermon or a talk in front of uh 
not a small group. A small group has always been fine with me. But yeah. if I'm standing up on a stage in front of some people, I would always show this little clip. Sometimes it had absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> what I was talking about. I needed to take in the environment because yeah. I'm not comfortable with that. But then when we get our statistics and we look at the amount of people who listen, man, I, I am humbled and feel fortunate, at least on my my accord for it because it's the size of a large church yeah i couldn't imagine actually standing up in front of that many people and saying hey you know right i found jesus in a van by the river you know what i mean like who says you know what i mean who but yeah it's just (laughs) and so the work that we do yeah i mean there's just so much room for it and and we can i believe that we can do so much good and what is, you know, I don't quote a bunch of Bible verses in my shows, you know, and I don't, you don't really either. And I don't think with the goal of making disciples, I'm not going to hit somebody over the head and, and get them, you know, or, and teach them anything. But you right. know what? God's stories and how he can intimately change right. somebody's life, that is where conversion happens. Right. So. Right. And that's where I think... That's why I try to ask those questions about each of those different stages of the journey. Because what I figure is that anybody that I'm, I'm interviewing, they, they have their own experiences in each of those kind of, kind of ways. But there may be other people who relate to their experience. You know, mm-hmm. Somebody's listening who had a similar conversion experience or somebody listening. Like I can't, oh, this is a sign, but I cannot believe the number of people Thing, topics that come up, or agencies that come up, crew, you know, like, uh, you know, the Campus Crusade, they used to be called, but now they call themselves crew. I don't think so. Uh, well, it's out there. It's a, they're like a parachurch organization, okay. and they do missions, they send people over. I've interviewed so many people who have been part of that, or were saved because of Campus Crusade ministries on their campus. Like, oh, like just, it's college ministry. Yeah, college okay. ministry, yeah. Yeah, or they do, but they do like missions work all over the place, but... Okay. Anyway, but that, they come up all the time. You know, it's incredible. Billy Graham's the other one. I just go, two or three people. I mean, I've done 65 interviews, right? Yeah. Two or three people have come up and said, my life was changed by Billy Graham's ministry because my parents went to a crusade or or he came to. I'm like, that is astounding. I'm trying to think of who it was. I did an interview not too long ago with with somebody and their parents met at a Billy Graham yeah, crusade. Right. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's where they met. They got married, had whoever. Crazy, right? Whichever, man, I'll have to go Change back and listen. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and, but, and that girl was, if it's who I think it was, I can't remember what show it was, but I think it was possibly Bailey Ireland. Um, and, you know, if it was her, she's been a strong believer since she was a kid. Yeah. You know, and the amount of work that that goes into, right. I mean, yeah. But what I love about it is that these organizations that do so much, you know, they, like you can really see their, the tail of their influence, right, kind of going out into the world. But yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I was making some other point before I went on the next side, but whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I think back to what you were talking about a few minutes ago, though, about the, the, some of the trials that come up. Oh, yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, man, when we... When we got married, I loved it. You know, like, marriage was 
I don't, I, I don't know that me and my wife had an argument before, you know, like in the first years we were married, you know. I mean, we were good friends surrounding us, yeah. out having a good time. We really understood each other. We were a little bit older, you know, we were 30, but... Oh, you were 10 years older than we were. Yeah. We were 20. So, I was really immature. So. You know, and, and, and I'm for, you know, I feel fortunate that we were both well, you know, we were established. Yeah. You know what I mean, we already had, we're set in our ways. We're old enough now, we're not changing. Yeah. And uh, until we had our first kid. And that was a, a difficult time because it, it really falls on me. I dropped the ball a lot. I did not understand time, commitment, how to be a family man. I didn't know these things. So yeah. I surrounded myself with go make money. Just go, you know, just right. go work, get out of the house. And my wife probably needed more love and somebody to listen to her and somebody to be more empathetic. Things that I'm not always great at. And, you know, that all kind of bubbled up and came to a head. Um, when we started having kids yeah. and you know, we had to work through it and it was, it was difficult. Um, I couldn't imagine having other family dynamic involved in that too and struggling through. I imagine that was a tough time. Yeah. So, when you guys had, so you didn't have your first kid until you were 25, right? Yeah. Um, so how was that for you guys? <laughs> we always laugh because whenever, yep. whenever our kids are, are rough, you know I mean? Everybody has, everybody has those times with their kids, right? right. And, and we would always look at each other and go, children are a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, we wanted children. And, right. and we really struggled to conceive a child. And so, you know, we had a lot of problems. And, mm. you know, it was really, I struggled. You know, it, well, you know, it kind of goes back to that idea of, probably it has a lot to do with a lot of things, but the idea of... of when we talked earlier about my ideas of eternal security when I was early on in my belief, you know, sometimes I seen God as vengeful and mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. I, and at times, you know, we, we would have problems and I would ask myself, like, God, what did I do? You know, like, yeah. I see 14-year-old kids having babies who can't care for them I'm in a position now where I can love a child I want a child and we can't have one yeah. you know and and I think that's a common problem you know what I mean at the time I felt alone you right. know like we're the only ones going through this but the more that I was able to talk to other people the more you find people who have had problems and so they've adopted or foster care you know these things and right. those weren't on my radar you know and and so, you know, I always want to know, you know, God, what, what did I do? Like, why, why, why do you do this to me? And, you know, I really question things, so. Yeah, I can understand that. But, yeah, so what was it like for you guys? Well, we didn't have that problem. That was, we were pretty, pretty like, there, there, there you go. There we go. <laughs> uh, that turned out okay. But, uh, so that's good. I think the, the hardest part, I think the hardest part for me is just we were, we were still young. I mean, you know, 25 is pretty, that's pretty young. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about when you're a little older, I think, is you, and I'm just speculating, but it seems like you, you're a little more secure in who you are, and you've had maybe some time to process through some of the things that 
your family was about or that you want to be different or, or alike or whatever. Yeah. And we hadn't done that. And so, like, I knew the kind of father I wanted to be. And, you know, as your baby, kid's a baby, it doesn't really, you know, necessarily, you don't have as many opportunities as you do, like, when they're older now. But yeah. you're just, you're, you're caring for a baby. But I think, um, like, I don't know, it was, it was just a challenging situation between, like everybody, like with lack of sleep and all these other things that were going on, it was really, it was really, really hard to imagine. Like, what, what do we want our family to be like? Um, See, I always wanted a uh, huge family. Yeah. You know, like I remember, we did this little when we got married. We <laughs> had this little promo video. Like some videographer would had an idea, and so we showed this little <clears throat> video. And I remember they, you know, they, one of the questions was, I think they asked us at separate times. You know, how many kids do you want? You know, things like that. And I, I just remember, I want a ton of kids. You nice. know, like, because I always thought that there would just be this overflowing idea of joy. Just yeah. kids surrounding the house and laughter and play and, you know, and all these things. And then you have a kid and you're like, what is happening? You know, you, you, yeah, the no right. sleep thing. You, right. oh, I think that man. that's way understated. And yep. um, I remember... I don't do well when I don't sleep. I don't really like myself when I'm going to sleep. Yeah. And neither does anybody else. Exactly. And you know, it's funny, though, because I think we were home for maybe three days. And I called up one of my buddies, and I was like, why didn't you tell me that it was like this? And he laughed at me. And then he goes, because you never would have had kids. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, and, and I Look. think that the lack of sleep thing, yeah. you know, my wife caught the... When I say that, I kind of drop the ball on things. Yeah. You know, she really did. And on our oldest child, he didn't sleep till he was through the night till he was 18 months old. Wow. And so oh, for sorry. that time, you know, and, and honestly, I had a poor attitude, man. I approached it from the wrong side because in my mind, you got maternity leave and I'm a nicer. Yeah, kind of the same deal. You don't want to deal with me if I haven't slept. I'm, I'm yeah. not a friendly guy, you know. And really, if I just would have toughened up a little bit and, yeah. and done what I probably should have done, things would have been smoother. Yeah. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. I think I tried, but, you know, there's always bumps in the road. I feel like that's probably normal for most, for most people, but at least that's what I tell myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, uh, what are your hopes for your show, man? I know yeah. that's something we haven't really talked much about. Uh-uh. Like, you're doing... I'm a huge fan, right? And I mean, I think that you get some really amazing guests. You know, you have a, a strong conversation style, you know what I mean? And, and you really get some good stories. Like, you know, are you just gonna keep, keep on trucking and doing the best you can and improving? Or, I mean, do you have a... Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm, right now my emphasis is on streamlining the process. Yeah. And so, really trying to build, which is all kind of on the back end, nobody would probably know that, but I'm trying to build a guest experience process that, right from start to finish, and so I told you a little bit about how I do that. Uh, I've worked on the beginning where everybody, once somebody agrees to be on the show, uh, I send them a a Google form that they can fill out and tell me a little bit about themselves. And that helps me as I create the show notes and as I introduce them on the show. I just ask them what time they want me to call. Right. <laughs> well, I didn't, I've done that for like 50 episodes or 60 episodes. And I finally was like, 
ah, I got to get, like, it would be helpful if I had this information up front. Especially when you start to get somebody who has a little bit of their own audience. Yeah. You know, because you really, I feel like you should do some research. I think you and I have similar thoughts on the fact, on the idea that I really like to be curious. Like, I really just want to be curious about their spiritual journey. And I don't want to know everything because I don't like asking leading questions. That's just boring, I think. Um, But I, so I just want to let my curiosity lead. And you'll hear huge broadcasters talk like that. So I feel justified in that. But at least if they give me a little bit about who they are and what they, how they see themselves, it's a good place to start. Um, so that form has helped. I created a document that then they get that, I don't know if this is interesting to anybody or not, but that describes kind of what I'm looking for and the kind of things that they can expect me to ask, which I don't do. I'm kind of like you. I don't do, I have this sort of large framework, but I don't necessarily ask the same questions in the same way. Sometimes I do, but that's not my goal. My goal is just to kind of weave through these different areas of the spiritual journey and see what we get. Uh, but I ask them to be specific because I think a specific story, like it's way better if you can tell a story about how you were in your van screaming at God, right? Yeah. Then, then if you go, and then I was a Christian, whatever, if you just, so, you know. So tell me about, uh, yeah. you know, May 7th, 2004, right. <laughs> right. You know, whatever you If they can be specific about their story, then it helps to tell a real story. So I try to, so things like that, I think, have changed the game a little bit. I have not gotten good at that. I haven't done the, so I can get up to the interview. I have not done the sort of after the interview, like streamline and send them the link to their show and get the show notes going. So that's some of what I'm trying to, trying to build in so that, all of that has a certain professionalism to it that that I think will kind of raise the game of the show, I hope. Because yeah. my goal is to eventually, I don't know if I, we talked about this, I don't know if I ever want to do ads on my show. I don't think yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I don't really like I, that idea. Either. I don't even like, I don't like interruption in the show. I, don't, I think that's kind of, I just skip those on the podcast that I listen to. So I, like, why would I add those to my show? But I do want to create products for people. And so part of, part of what I want to do, and I don't know what this will look like, but I want to create something to help people who are kind of in that wall period or either going through it, coming up on it. Like they can sense that things that they've done is, are not quite as satisfying as they used to be. Things that can kind of help that, help you move through that period. So you're just going to stand on one side of the wall and just yank people through. Kind of, yeah. I like that. I, I feel like there's not very many people doing that. I think, uh, I think the, until you really kind of laid out that analogy, I, I've never really thought about it like that. Yeah. It, the more that I sat through last night and kind of molded over, it really did apply to most positions in my life. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I want to create things that will help people. It, they'll be useful to anybody, but if you're in that section of the journey they'll help you connect with God. Uh, that's what I want to do. So I don't know what that looks like. I've thought about doing like some eight-day Bible studies or eight-day Bible soaks, I like to call them, because like I really believe in taking one passage of Scripture and just sitting with it, right? Not rushing, you know, like feeling like i got to read the Bible in a year, yeah. read three or four chapters. What if I just, the last passage this was for me was Ephesians 5, but... What if I just take Ephesians 5 and I just sit with it and I read it today and I go, what stands out to me? And then maybe I come back 
tomorrow or three days or a week from now. And I read it again. And I just kind of mull it over and I let it come up in the shower or while I'm driving or whenever, you know, when, when my mind is not on everything else, when I can think, and it just kind of bubbles up to the surface and I just pray through it. I just think that has so much value. It's certainly that has changed my life. Uh, I can tell you one of those passages, Romans 8 was one, you know, where there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you get later on in that chapter, like this is just to give you an example of an insight I've had by just sitting with, with the whole chapter for a long time. You get later in that chapter, there's a, there's a rhetorical question that says, if God is for us, then who can condemn us, right? Some versions will put in there, no one. Huh. But in the, in the original language, that's not there. It's just, it's implied by the kind of question that's asked right there. If God is for us, who can condemn us? The answer is, no one can condemn us. So, if you start, so just letting that kind of, that's one thing to understand that concept. But if you let yourself just kind of think about that, think about the people who you feel condemnation from, right? Maybe your parents, when you were growing up, didn't like the way you did something or what, right? Or they, yeah. a lot of families are basically, have shame and guilt and things built in. Uh, okay, they can't condemn you. Your friends, you know, if you do something wrong socially, I struggle with that a lot, like junior high, right? Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't? All right. So, but they can't, they can't condemn you. Your spouse, uh, you know, whatever you expectations you meet or don't meet, they can't condemn you. How about this? Yourself. Yeah. You can't condemn you. That's a that's a strong statement there, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because, yeah, I mean, think of who, you know, the idea of condemn. You know, you're harder on yourself than anybody else is ever yeah. going to be on you. you yeah. Know? And yeah, I mean, that's where we talk a lot about freedom in the word and finding freedom. Right. Like, there's no greater idea of freedom than that. Not right. even you can stand in front of you. Right. Yeah. You can't condemn yourself because, so then what I love about that is from there it says, almost as the answer to the question, Jesus is at the right hand of God, right? Or Jesus, I forget exactly how it says it, so don't hold me to all that. But that's basically the point right there. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is the one who reigns. Yeah. And so because of Jesus, no one can condemn you. Not even yourself, not even your own conscience. Just Jesus stands for you. And that, like, I wouldn't have had that insight if I hadn't just sat with the passage. Just let it go back to it over and over again in prayer and just praying through it. That's something that I think, I don't know if, I might always say God gave it to me, but it was really just a matter of that kind of thinking and soaking in the passage. Create things like that that help people kind of to do that. Because uh, I just think it's valuable. I think that's neat, man. I really do. And it's, it's funny you talk about just kind of soaking in that passage. A lot of times when I read anymore, I'm reading for a specific purpose, right? I mean, they're yeah. putting together something for presentation. I'm working on a discussion thing for a small group. I'm, I have a specific purpose on what I'm yeah. reading for and why I'm reading. But for me, you know, I find God a lot in those daily things. And yeah. I'll notice that one specific event will end up sticking with me for, for like a week. Right. And I'll just consistently think about it and thank God for it, pray about it, 
be in, sometimes just be in awe yep. of how everything worked out, you know, right. or on the same token, be sad that, you know, something is happening that way or people aren't living into what they could do, you know, and so I think there's, you know, just that idea of taking one small piece and just living into it for a little while and, yeah. and it's amazing how you'll come out of the other side with the perspective on it and not just this, you know, the society that we live in right now comes up with those snap, snap perspectives, snap decisions. I read the headline and that's got to be the honest truth, right? Yep. And how often do we really sit for a week and just yeah. contemplate one idea? Right. You know, and, and I found a lot of, a lot of joy and a lot of relief in it. Yeah. So. So this is one of those ways that that paper that I told you about really did change how I think about scripture. Because we had to, you know, one of the theological topics is revelation. Like, yeah. But not the book of Revelation, like how God reveals himself. And I really expected to write about some of the things that you think about scripture, like inerrancy and uh, infallibility, those kinds of things, like yeah. whether or not scripture was true, those kinds of things. The qualities of God. Yeah, yeah. So I did that on the scripture portion, but when you dig into Revelation, like how God reveals himself, it's actually, there's a lot more to it. The, this, was, this blew my mind. So God reveals himself in, in really three ways. There's Jesus, who is the perfect representation of God and who he is, right? Uh, so that's that's one, probably the best one, right? Like the like the most complete and full. There's scripture, which is a which is God revealing Himself in certain situations and letters and all those all contexts. And then there's these individual experiences, which is why I think we we like the experiences yeah. where God either says something or does something. So you can think of like in scripture. When I realized this, it totally blew my mind that throughout Scripture, you, you can start at the beginning, clear to the end, and look at all of the individual experiences that people have with God, where God is speaking into something. Almost, you can't find a character that doesn't have those kinds of experiences. Yeah. You know, Abraham, God comes and says, you're going to have a baby, right? I mean, just go through, go through them. Moses, who, whoever they are, even, you know, whoever they are. David, you just go through even even some of the non-essential people, right? God is speaking to them. So I started to go, oh, that's probably it's probably not an uncommon thing, right? If it's yeah. throughout Scripture from beginning to end. But anyway, so there's a lot I could say about that. But what I realized is that the is that there's actually more than one way. Uh, that God reveals himself. And that, so for scripture, if I approach scripture as less, what should I do? There's certainly that as an as a application of scripture. What should I do? But more as a, what does this tell me about who God is? That that, that, that kind of aligns me with all those other, those other pieces of who God is of how God reveals himself. 
And I think, at least in my case, you know, you go back and you look at, you look at us how, we, how sometimes we change our ideas about yeah. the things in our faith. And one of the, I think one of those reasons for me is because I see more of who God is. Right. You know, the, the God that I know and the God that I understand, he doesn't want people condemned. Right. But at the end of the day, there's a path, right? Right. And you have to do it. There's, there, is, there is a set thing that has to happen, but he's a God of love and he wants, he values the idea that God values a relationship with me. Yeah. And what more could I want? You know what I mean? And, and once you finally understand that, I think that, yeah, those things change. Once you learn the qualities and the, the, the eh, not the human, once you understand who God is and what his character is, and yeah, I mean, and, and I think I always find a little bit of relief when you read those stories of Abraham and David and Solomon and you see on paper how, how it turned out. You've seen the beginning, you've seen the, right. what was happening, you've seen the end. And how God was at play in all of those lives. Right. Well, at the end of the day, they're not writing a book about us. But God is the same now as he's always right. been. And he's still at work in our lives. Absolutely. Exactly the same as he was working in the lives of the people who were written about. Yep. And what more could you want? You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know. Yeah, well, I think that's the great promise. You know, that's the beauty of it that our faith didn't just pop up yesterday. You know, it's, it has this long lineage of people who are faithful, people who knew him and trusted him. So I love Hebrews 11. That's been one of the passages that I spent a lot of time in. Soaked it because it's just so rich, you know, with people who their lives didn't always turn out the way they wanted, right? Yeah. Like there's one line in there about they were sawn in two, right? Like not the faith experience I was looking for. <laughs> and yet they have that they're they're represented here as people who trusted God, yeah. you know? And that's all I want. Yeah, that's all I want, you know. I love the fact that, you know, sometimes you can just pick up, you can just name off, here's what I read, and I loved it. Here's what I read, and I loved it. Here's what I read, and I loved it. And, when, you know, when I look at the characters and thinking about how God worked with them and, and the same God is working with me, Yeah. and we've been doing a whole lot in Second uh, Samuel and, you know, working with, you know, David's life. Yeah. And, you know, how David is a man after God's heart. You look at how much David messed up. Yeah. You look at how, you know, he ran away. He slayed people. You know what I mean? He comes back and hooks up. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, he, over and over again, David messes up. But at the end of the day, David had a heart for God. Right. And, you know, God knew his desires. If we as fallen, messed up people can't read about David's life and say, there's hope for me, yeah. there's inspiration for me, there's, there's a God who is 
walking hand in hand with me, the same God that delivered David and made promises to David right. is the same God that, that cares for me. You know, we should find joy and wonderment in that. Yeah, so, absolutely. I love it, man. Me so, too. Well, we're going a little bit long, so <laughs> is there anything... Since we're on, is there anything that you have for me before we we close up? I feel like I've just been grilling you. No, it's good. I appreciate it. I'm not usually on that side of the uh, equation, so that's I appreciate it. It's really been fun. Yeah. Uh, no, I. You know what? Definitely, I appreciate your friendship, and yeah. I I have enjoyed uh, just chatting with you and what you do. Um, why don't you Why don't you tell people about okay. how can they find your show? Yeah. I mean. So the show, the show is called Halfway There, and I named it that uh, because I think the spiritual journey is not a destination. It is a journey, right? You're, it's something you're on, and so you're never going to get there, wherever that mythical place is. You're always going to be on the journey. You're always going to be halfway. Uh, and I believe that, actually, even in eternity. I think that we're always going to keep learning things about God because He's infinite, right? We'll never actually get to the end of Him. So you can find it in iTunes. You can go to iTunes and just search Halfway There. You can search my name, Eric Nevins. Uh, or you can just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. That's where you'll find my archives, and you can click on any given episode, and there's a subscribe button right there to iTunes, so it'll take you right there as well. And can I just say this one more thing? It's yours, man. At the bottom of all of the episodes, there is a link if you want to find out about new episodes. I just added this. I'm very excited. So you can sign up, put your email address on there. I will email you and let you know when new episodes are out. Usually on Monday. See, you you kind of make me look bad because... I'm trying to do the thing, right? This is how you do internet business. That's all I'm trying to do. All right, you're going to have to professional me up, buddy. We can work on it. All right. All right, let's shut this thing down. We'll call it a night. I'm sure people are wondering where we're at. I think that was my phone. All right. Thanks again, man. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the show. I think that Eric's idea about breaking through that wall is so important and critical for us as believers. Keep working and pushing through. If we can be of any resource for you, You know how to get a hold of me through the Facebook page or online, and I'm sure that Eric would be happy uh, if you visited him at Halfway There through social media or their website as well. So with that, I hope you guys have a great week. If uh, this show was something that you enjoyed, please feel free to share it with somebody that might enjoy it as well, and uh, be blessed.